Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Okay, let's get back to Philippians. We're in verse 11. You guys are Baptists. Baptists, all sit in the back. I'm missionary. You're Pentecostal? I'm missionary. Okay. All right. It was interesting, somebody in my other class gave me this little snippet out of the paper. Um, last spring, a Franciscan friar, Father Bede Ferrara, handed out coupons in Somerville, Massachusetts, offering his parishioners 50% off of the penance for whatever sins they confess. He said he thought his parishioners needed a boost because of the area's economic woes and so offered them the opportunity to atone for sin by, for example, doing only 15 Hail Marys instead of 30. So, you know, you go in, he says, well, he says, you know, it sort of looks like you have to do 30 Hail Marys and climb up the steps of St. Peter's Basilica on your knees and you pull out your coupon. I said, well, okay, that's 15. You know, you get credit and... Mm. Anyways. Did you hear what the, uh, the Bishop of Cleveland did for uh, St. Patrick's Day? What's that? Verse 10 here, we were talking about the knowing the power of his resurrection fell of his suffering. Then Paul says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now what does he mean by that? If I may obtain to, if I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. What do you think he means by that? Verse 11. What did the first level you talking about? Yeah. Uh, third, yeah. Um, may I ever believe, maybe? <coughs> he said, I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. He talked to the anticipation of every believer, Yeah, it says anticipation. He, he, what he's saying is, I trashed all that I am for all that he is so that I may attain to the resurrection from among the dead corpses. It's really out-resurrection from among the dead. He wants to attain the long-term goal, not the short-term. Not that I had already attained in verse 12, or I'm already perfected. This is the great reaching forward passage. It's not that I've already gotten there, or I'm already perfected. In other words, I've already been made complete. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The idea of pressing on has the idea of a race. 
And he's saying, I, you know, it's, it's at that fatigue of the race where you want to quit. He says, I keep pressing on because I want to attain that for which Christ attained, or I want to lay hold of that for which Christ laid a hold of me. Okay? Now, what did Christ lay a hold of you for? Why did he save you? What's the result of his salvation? Glorify to glorify himself. And how do you glorify him? By being obedient, obedient holy, whatever. <clears throat> Paul's saying, I want to attain. He's saying, I'm pre he says, I haven't arrived yet. You know, there's these people today, and I, met, I ran into one guy. He says, you know, he says, I haven't sinned for five years. <laughs> so, well, you just did. All right. Um, the whole notion is there are some people out there sincerely, they believe they, they hit it. Now, you ask some of the charismatic guys on TV, and what will they say? They say, We got the divine zap, we got the second anointing, we've arrived. We're there. We've made it. Paul's saying, I didn't make it. He says, I have never made it. He says, In fact, in this life, do you ever make it? No, you never, you never hit the goal, but you press on. And he's saying, I'm pressing on to lay hold of the goal for which Christ lay hold of me, namely, holiness. Christ did not save you to leave you being a bum. He didn't save you to, you know, it's like, the, you know, the, I told you the, the uh, commercials on TV, you know, about the new improved all or whatever, you know, where the little kid comes in covered with dirt from head to toe and mom takes his clothes and washes them and puts them on and he's running right back out in the same mud hole with clean clothes now. God does not bring you in, take your sin away, and that's how you go back and play in the world because it really doesn't matter after all because you're saved. <coughs> he didn't save you to be ungodly. He saved you to be holy. Now Paul's saying, I am pressing on to reach hold of that. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are before, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I am pressing on to reach the goal. And I'm not looking at the past. I'm not looking behind me. I remember coaching a team that was in a race one time and uh, we had the fastest, we had the fastest kid in northern Ohio. He lost. He's looking behind him. He lost. You can't run with your head looking behind you. See? And what Paul is saying, he's saying, you know the failures in the past, they're water over the dam. It's water over the dam. I can't, I can't go back and undo what was done. He said, but I can reach forward. I can look ahead, and I, I, can, I can do my best to, to lay hold of that prize that's, that's there. And, and in fact, you know, if you think about it, it's like the old uh, Little Rascals show, you know, where they got Petey the dog pulling their wagon with the wiener on the stick, you know, and he's trying to, trying to get that. And it's, that's sort of like it is with us. We're trying to reach something we'll never get in this life, but that does not invalidate the effort to reach it. That's the difference, yeah. When he's talking about uh, forgetting what lies behind, is he referring to his lifestyle before he became a Christian? Yeah. That and thereafter as well? 
Yeah, I think he's using the metaphor of a race, I think. But he's talking about his past before as a Christian, even present during that time. I even think, he, I think, I think, I think it's, it's safe to say he's looking at all of those things that are past, whatever they may be. Whether it's things that he had put his, his confidence in, whether his past failures, whether even his past successes. He wants to reach forward. You know, um, one of the, you know, and, and I think that's, I mean, stop and think about that. You know, a lot, a lot of times you hear Christians, you know, you talk about what God did 30 years ago in their life. And that's, that's great. But what did he do yesterday? Yeah. All right. Um, you, you, you need to have an anticipation for what God's going to do tomorrow. Right. He's faithful now. And you can't say, well, I'm a good Christian or I did something because 20 years ago God used me. Well, that's, that's wonderful, but what about two days ago? Or what about now? Is he using you now? It's not what you've done, but it's where you're headed. And Paul is saying, I'm reaching forward. And, and the whole metaphor here, again, is that of a race where he is stretching every ounce of his body to reach a goal. That goal is Christ-likeness. I want to be like Jesus Christ. And we never, we never hit it in this lifetime, all of us. None of us. But we reach on. We press on. Therefore, let us, many of us, as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. The mature ones reach ahead. And I want you to, stop, I want you to, Let's, let's think about this a minute. As a mature believer, and you know, I haven't thought through this a lot, but I, I've, I have thought about it. I think if you are a mature believer, you're more worried about your own sanctification than you are about the sanctification of someone else. What happens a lot of times is we're and I've seen it happen. People get so hung up in the wrong, what other people do wrong mm -hmm. and other people's failures that they never spend time to think about their own. I mean, I, I remember going over to some ex-friend's house, an ex-friend. And, uh, you know, having them say, you know, I, for the life of me, I can't believe how God, and we, it was in the context of church, how in the world is God ever able to use David Walls, the bum that he is? Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not the question to me. Why is God using me? What happens is we get so involved in worrying about someone else. Why is God using that person? Or, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Say, I'm not as bad as him. I mean, I, it could be worse. I could be like Evans. Get sprinkled back there. Um, 
And, and what Paul, it's interesting because what Paul was consumed about is his own sanctification. He's, he's saying, I'm worried about me. In fact, what he says in 1 Corinthians, remember he says it's not wise to compare yourselves to somebody else. Because here's the thing, no matter how godly you are, you can find somebody a little bit better than you. Yeah. But no matter how ungodly you are, you can always find someone a little bit worse. That's right. I See, and you can always compare yourself. Always. And Paul, and I think maturity, maturity as a believer is to understand you're a lot worse than you like to think yourself as being. Yeah. This is reminding me of just a few months ago. I was reading Erwin Luther's books on your eternal reward, and uh, he talked about you know, judgment day in heaven and things like that. And one of the things that he said that made me refocus how I think about things like that is when it comes down to it, it is going to be you and God alone. And here it's so easy to put yourself amongst your peers and say, well, I'm not doing too bad, and you become apathetic to everything else. But if you look around, the call to which we are called to is so much higher than how we live. And one thing that he said is, do you honestly want to get to heaven and realize that you didn't even come close to it when you thought you did? Because you looked around and you thought, well, I'm okay. But when you think about it, when it comes down to you and God, do you want to be in the back seat of the car when you get to heaven and realize that you had the chance to be in the front seat the whole time, mm -hmm. but you never you never asked to be up there, and you never wanted to be up there because you were so comfortable where you were at. It was very enlightening. I was, that's, that, because in my mind, I oftentimes try, it's not that I'm judging other people, it's that I want to manipulate the situations in my life so things are comfortable for me. Or you want to, you want to, and here's the problem, we want to cut ourselves a tremendous amount of slack in thinking that we're a lot better than we really are. Because we don't like to look at our own depravity. We don't. I think you need to move this back table up to the front, right in front of you. have to put one in a corner, one in the other corner. And... Hey, Mr. I enjoyed what you said when we were coming in. You know how we we back and we say back to everybody tonight. Yeah. Well, she. Yeah, I'll do it right there. <laughs> but uh, I think I think the point though is is you know as I've been in the church now for a long period of time and I've, I've watched them come and go. I've seen people come and go. I, I see there's there's this contingent of Christianity that is so concerned about the holiness of everybody else, they never get around to looking at their own. And they never get around to asking themselves. And, and, and quite honestly, like she said, when you stand before God, God does not say, well, we're, we're grading on a curve here. All right. We're going to find, we're going to find the worst bum and we'll lower everybody's score to meet it. You know, um, you're graded against perfection. And, and you're, yeah. You're you're graded. <laughs> that's why. That's why. Oh man. She You <laughs> But see, that's what you know, and that was so interesting about Paul because it's, it's interesting. Later on in one of his writings, he says, "Me, even me, who am the least of all saints, 
Remember Ephesians, I think it was, Ephesians 3. I'm the least. I mean, when you line them all up, I, I'm, I'm at the bottom there. He's even using me. See, that's the wonder of it to me. See, I don't know how cruddy you are. But I know how cruddy I am. If God's up here and the lion's here, we're all down here somewhere. We're all below. I mean, we're so far below what we need to be. And I think there's a very valid... So, so my, my, you know, when I look at this, I'm, I'm reminded, who should I be comparing myself against? Nobody on this earth. Nobody here. Because again, I can always find somebody worse than me. Yeah. Yeah. I can always do that. And see, when I do that, then it makes me feel like I'm better than I really am, doesn't it? Right. And what we need to understand is we're so far short. And, and, and if we want all that God wants for us, we need to get out of this comparing ourselves with other people and trying to figure out why is God using them and why, you know, boy, you know, they call themselves a Christian. Look at their, Get out of that mode and look at yourself. Look at yourself. As many of us as are mature, I like that, mature have this mind. And again, I, I, you know, I think there's a direct correlation. The more mature you are, comparatively speaking, as far as spiritual things go, the more focus you have on, and the more understanding you have of your own depravity, your own shortcomings, your own need. And, and you're less worried about other people. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. <clears throat> he, he, you know, you can grow in your spiritual life. But when you start comparing yourselves to other people, you show a great deal of immaturity rather than maturity. That's immature to compare yourselves. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Fascinating verse, verse 17. He says, you want to know how to walk? Check me out. And I say, what? Paul, you arrogant person. You, I mean, you just started talking there about how we need to you know, forget what's behind and reach forward. And, and Yeah, that's right. But what is Paul saying? Models. Walk together with me. And he's saying, because I am walking together with Christ. All right? You need to have people with skin on. You need to be able to see a model. And all of us are a model. We're either a good one or a bad one. We're a good model or a bad model. Here's a good model walking in. But... What are we modeling? Jesus Christ. That's what we should be. But, you know, I look at a lot of times in the churches today, and what we're doing is we're not really modeling Christ at all. We're certainly not trying to follow Him. We're not doing what He's called us to do. I mean, we're, we're so busy trying to compare ourselves and make our own little kingdoms. We do not have the mind of Christ. He said, I want you to join and follow my example and note those who walk that you have us for a pattern. 
look at people who are following the pattern. What pattern is that? The pattern of reaching forward to attain Christ-likeness. Who out there is reaching forward to attain Christ-likeness? They're not looking at everybody else around them. They're reaching forward to be all they can be for Christ. Mark them and follow their example. Be like them. That's what discipleship is. And, and, you know, an interesting verse on this is the one over in Titus where it talks about the older women teaching the younger women to be a, there to be a model. There to be an example. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I want, I want my life to be an example. Not in the arrogant sense. Not, not, to, not to make little clones of me, but I want to be so following Christ that people can see that and be encouraged by that. And that's what Paul is saying here. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Because there are others that don't have that same model. Here's a, here's, you know, and, and I think this is something interesting. I, I think all of us should have, and, and we know if, you know, if I went around the room, I could ask you, give me the name of a Christian that you see as one of your models, as somebody you'd like to be like, some Christian leader. All right. John, yeah, he's, I, I'll be honest with you, he is. He is. To me, to me, John, because I've got to meet him, and I'll tell you what, he's one of the humblest, nicest men you'll ever meet. No, not James White. All right, but what I'm saying is, when, when you choose a model, and I, I think there's a sense in which all of us do that to some extent, make sure you get a good one. And the way you get a good one is to ask yourself, what are they reaching for? Are they reaching for a bigger name? Are they reaching for a bigger church? Are they reaching for more recognition? You don't want to be following those kind of people. That's funny you should mention that because less than 20 minutes ago at the other end of the hall, I was saying that exact same thing to a couple of guys I was talking to. I was saying there's two men that I, I look up to and, and highly respect and would like to be more like one being Pastor Walls, the other one being uh, Tom Harmon. Mm -hmm. If you've ever heard of him, he speaks a lot of Camp Perichel, and we met him here at the church a couple of years ago. And Willie. And Willie. Now again, now again, here, here's the thing. Now we've got to be very careful here to understand this is not saying we worship these people. You can't worship them. It, you, you can't get to the point where you say, well, whatever they say is all right. No. But when, I, when I'm faced with a trial or I'm faced with an issue, I ask myself, how would this person handle it? And sometimes I, I can see how they've handled it. Mm. And that has become a model. And I think, I think, you know, I have several models in my life. John MacArthur is one of them. 
I will be honest with you. It goes without saying. And the reason is, is because I, I have just, I've grown under his teaching. I mean, that, that has really attributed a great deal to, to my understanding of the word, just him. And, and, and that, that means a lot to me. But there are other models I've had. Um, the pastor I had when I was a teenager growing up was a model. I learned a lot. Pastor Walls is a model. I've learned a lot from him. There's another pastor I know when I was growing up. I've learned a lot from him. They're all models. And some of them are anti-models. In the sense that you look at them and say, well, there's one thing I'm not going to do, and that's what they did. All right, I'm not going to go that route because I've seen where it leads. I've seen where... The, the point is, and I, and I think this is important, we are all models, and what kind of model are we? And when you start understanding and stop thinking, here's an interesting thing. When you start thinking, wait a minute, I'm a model, that's going to affect the way you do things. It's going to affect the way you live. Okay? For example, you know, if, if you, if you are, are, are teaching a class, I'm going to pick on Josh because I don't think he minds it, but he's working with teenagers. Now, whether he likes it or not, he and his wife are a model to those teenagers. Mm -hmm. They're going to look at Josh, and they're going to form opinions of how marriage should be, how a, a man should treat his wife, you know, all of that. They're going to pick it up from him. Now, if he's a bum, what are they gonna, what's that going to do to them? <clears throat> That's going to be negative. Yeah. Now, since Josh knows that he's a model, what is that going to do to him? It's going to make him work at it. Now you say, well, that's not a very godly motivation. Yes, it is. It's a very godly motivation. When you realize people are looking at your life, and if you act like a bum, that's going to reflect negatively on Jesus Christ. That's going to make him look bad. It's accountability. You know, you know, all of a sudden you realize, you know, I... You know, I'm, I'm really mad at my wife, but, you know, I can't yell at her because if I do, they're going to think, you know, and, and you've got to learn to shut up. Yeah. You've got to learn to discipline yourself. All right? It, 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 it faces, it, it just, that's just the way it is. I remember, in fact, I remember this. Um, one of the things that, that really helped me spiritually grow significantly was I took another person on in the church to, to disciple, I don't know, 18 years ago. Yeah. A long time ago it was. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm trying to tell this guy he's got to be in the Word. What does that mean that I have to be in? In the Word. Yeah, so if I'm not in the Word, I can't tell him to be in it. And I'm trying to tell him he needs to pray. Now, if I tell him he needs to pray, but I'm not praying, see, the point is, and, and whether you like it or not, and that you're not going to be a Christian in a vacuum. You're not going to be able. You're not going to be able. To, I'm not going to be able to take any one of you and drop you on a desert island, come back and see a very strong Christian. Because in a sense, we need accountability with other people. When no one's looking, it's very easy to be lazy. Definitely. It's very easy to slough off. It's very easy to kick back. It's that mutual accountability, I think, that, that, that forces us at times 
to grow and to face issues and to become mature. And when you realize that you, you know, as parents, if you have kids and you see those kids modeling you, boy, you, know, you, you stop and think about it. Wait a minute, you know, if, if I'm telling my kids he's not allowed to smoke and I'm a chain smoker, what's that telling him? See, and, and I think that's what Paul is hitting at here. Be a, a godly model because people are looking at you and you can't just do anything you want. See, I, I, I've learned a long time ago, I, I can't do anything I want anymore. Because if people see that and they know who I am, they might get a wrong impression. It's not that something's right or wrong. It's just, well, that's the way it is, you know. You're a model. Well, if they see you on a mission to Mars, they might think you like aliens. That's right. I do. But, you're, but the point is you're a model. And, you know, I remember, you know, going back to a few weeks ago when I told you about, you know, the, the neighbor kids that come over and Donna watches, and they were having their debate on if Donna sinned or not. You know, we laugh at that. You know, we sit back and sort of smile at that, you know. Yeah. But now, wait a minute. This is a, this is a 13 and a 14-year-old that have observed a woman that they've not seen her lose her temper. She's not thrown anything at her husband. She's not cranky and crabby, at least when they're around. They haven't seen that. So what is their conclusion? See? And, 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 you know, I told her that. And she, she was pretty, take, she, you know, because she doesn't hear well. She didn't know anything. You know, she didn't know what's going on. But, but, you know, it's made her stop and think, wait a minute. You know, they, they see, they see me. And, and they're going to form their opinion of Christ by the way I love. We need to think about that. What do people see when they look at you? And he's saying, these people here, they're, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their whole glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. They're all worried about the earthly things. Now, are there people in the ministry today that are concerned about that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. What do they want? They want a bigger church. Prosperity. They want more money or a bigger building. Or like the one preacher, this congregation gave him a Rolls Royce and he made him take it back because he didn't like the color. I think that was, that was some guy, that was one of these prosperity guys. It might have been Price. I'm not, if I'm, it's one of those. He, he, didn't like, he didn't like the color and made him take it back. And, and the whole point there is, again, you ask yourself, why are you in the ministry? Well, what is it? Their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, they mind earthly things. They're not thinking about the cause of Christ. They're thinking about themselves. And he's saying there, their end is destruction. About the Lord, you're talking about the, the mall that they possessed and that they all, you very seldom hear the guy talk about the homeless centers and uh, evangelism and outreach what they're doing in the communities. You know what I mean? They always say, come visit our mall. And if you have an area, stop into our mall, stop into our church, uh, so on and so on. So you never hear them talk about, and then at the end of the message, if you enjoy this uh, message that was preached today, please send a donation of $20 and $40 and receive the VHS on the cassette tape. You know, so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, and a lot of people are turned off by that, that guy who can turn his TV on 
who's never ever been to church and listening to this message, he can have one of the most powerful messages in the world. And then all of a sudden he jumps and talks about uh, his mall, by his Rolls Royce, his Mercedes Benz. And then a lot of guys get turned off over there because prosperity, all they're saying now is I've been to many of that, you know, just in the areas and I've seen all of this name and claim and frame that is yours. Yeah. There's no, there's no work behind. Well, I mean, I, I, think, I think the prosperity gospel guys are mentioned in Second Peter chapter 2. They're filth scabs. They're, they're pussy open sores. They're brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. What do you do with a wild animal that can't be tamed? You kill it. I called Benny in. All right. And I asked him, was he called in? And I said, I called. And I said, hey, talk to me. How you doing? I'm about seven. I said, I just want to speak to you. You know, they, 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 dude, I'm proud of the cartoon. I says, I hear you talk about so much healing all the time. I want you to come to the city of Elyria, and we're going to leave from Elyria and go to Cleveland. And I want you to just walk through the hospital window, and I want you to just breathe your breath. And wave your hand. And I want everybody in the hospital to just get up out of their sick beds and go home. What he said? He said, I, I really don't have time to talk to you right now. I'm giving you what you're saying. Because I say that if you really want to heal people, go to the hospital. I like this guy. Exactly. Wave, I like this. And wave you know? your hand. I like this. Wave your hand. Hey, Benny. <laughs> I, I called him and he said, Brother, I don't think you believe in the power of God. I said, yes, I'm sick right now. I believe in the power of God. I just don't believe in the power of you. I said, if I was a sinner, I said, if I was really a sinner uh, and it was in the street, I would probably come to one of your crusades, walk up on your stage, and when you wave your hand, I'd probably wave my hand back dead at your face. I said, if I was just a street-going guy. I said, because if you that much anointed person, I said, I read your book. You said, you can't even sleep in the same room until why? Because the anointing is so heavy in your, in your room that she had to sleep next door to you. I said, all these people with cancer, all these people with AIDS. What's, what's wrong with this picture? What I'm saying? He's, the guy's an idiot. I mean, what, I mean, come on. He's an idiot. And when his hand, when his hand gets tired, Mr. Shaper, he, he gets tired of healing. They'll take his coat. Just wave his coat across the stage. You know what I mean? Thank you, Paul. And He'll slay in sections. And yeah, <laughs> in sections. Yeah, and he just blow people down. You know what I mean? And Must have pretty powerful uh, breath. No. And people are calling for this seriously. You yeah. see, massive and major crusades of people who are who are are, are, are sending funds to this person. But Alan Shaper can come and teach and can say very high credential things. I wouldn't get out of shape for $20. But the same people are sending $50 to in the hand and, and Creflo dollars. It's deception. It's spiritual. What it is, is a spiritual deception. It is people, it is people who are, and that's what Paul is saying here. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. What is Benny Hinn worried? He's worried about his own, per he's always the hero of his own story. He's always talking about how great and wonderful God's using him. Paul would never do that. No. Paul never would do that. Paul would go in and say, I'm amazed that God even has me here speaking. It's beyond me. I killed the church. Why is he using me? Yeah. And, I, and there are some people who love the Lord with all their heart that just blast straight into many men. Mm -hmm. They're going to happen, but they just they miss the idea. I have a friend who, who they went to one of his crusades. He was telling me about it. He's like, oh, Josh, you know, this happened and this happened. And I just kind of sat there. And, I was, and he 
goes, why are you skeptical? And I go, I have a problem assigning my faith to a man who believes that money runs his ministry and that guy. And, and he's like, no, 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 you don't, he just threw that in at the end. I'm like, that's not the way. That's not what they're, yeah. And, you know, I mean, we still, this day disagree on it. We're still friends. Yeah. I, mean, I still believe he's going to heaven, but I mean, it's just, they, he can, he's able to subscribe, to assign no. If Paul were to show up today, yes. if he were to show up today, and he was to be given a three-year extension by God to go on a preaching crusade, would he be in Cadillacs? No, no. Would he have a very beautiful suit like Willie's wearing there, no. necessarily? Mm. Would he be talking about uh, gathering money? No. Money, money, money. No. And here's the interesting thing. In, in 2 Corinthians, when Paul took up the offering, see, here's one of the interesting things. This will help you understand 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter um, 10, 11, and 12, and 13, Paul was talking about the offering he was taken for the saints. Right. See, a whole bunch of people say, well, you know, Paul's, you know, don't let him give you that. He's taken for the saints. He's going to pocket that money. Right. Over that day, man. He's going to take the money and run. Yeah. And Paul told him all of the different things he was doing accountability-wise to ensure that the money they gave went to the cause it was for. Right. Now, what amazes me is you get some of these people that, you know, they, they call on the phones or whatever, they solicit funds. And some of these Christian ministries, and I think somebody did a study, and one of them found that only 10 cents out of the dollar went for the, went for the actual thing for which they raised the money. 90 cents went to fundraising. Right, right. See, now the whole point is that that whole, that whole focus is wrong. And the ministries, what's interesting to me, I listen, you know, Swami John, I listen to him, John MacArthur. But, but in all the years, I've, listened, I've been listening to him since 1982. I can only remember, if I, if I think long and hard, I think there was only two or three times in, in 18 years I've ever heard him mention anything about supporting his radio program. Right. But it is Most of the time, he never even says anything. Right. I mean, what I'm saying is you can go five or years at a pop without hearing him mention an, a, a, at all about supporting the ministry. And I'll tell you another one, Charles Stanley's the same way. The same way. You don't hear him, but now you learn on Jerry Falwell, in 10 minutes out of the hours, I'm raising funds to combat the devil Clinton or something like that. Um, I don't know. I just I have a real hard time with that. The whole focus is on money. And, and that is not, I'll tell you, when, when a ministry begins to focus on money, it's, it's wrong. And you got a lot of churches, believing churches, that are carried away. I'm talking about believing churches, foundated churches, that are more so ever carried away with how much money we're taking in a Sunday. How much is in our bank account? How many CDs we got taken? All of this, if we was truthful with ourselves, the church should never be rich and the community poor if we were really truthful with ourselves. We, we are getting fat in the church and the society in our community is disintegrating at the church's doorstep while we're getting fat on the inside. And, and, and if the world, if all the church was doing what we're supposed to do, it would be in poverty in the United States nowhere. 
But we, we depend on the government. Listen to uh, Paul talking to this Thessalonian church. It's not like he was trying to preach. What do you think? My church had a problem with that. We had a meeting one time. I said, Reverend, we're just spinning money. I say, be quiet, please. Let me say something. I said, hey, that's how I know my church in the garden. He tells us how I am. I say, if I'm a pastor church, I'm a pastor church. And I said, we're going to give to the cause and to the needed because God is going to bless us in return for being a blessing. If you impress one person, they'll go in return and impress seven people. If, 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 you, if you degrade one person, then you're going to miss seven people. I always have believed in that. And I'm saying that if we would do what we're supposed to do, uh, Everyone. what we call our benevolence. <laughs> benevolence fund. Yeah. Our benevolence fund. <laughs> yeah, but we got a tendency a lot of time in our churches, oh, this is this is God's uh, relative. So we're sending them <laughs> X amount of dollars. But this other person will come off the street and say, oh, I'm so ragged. They close us so ragged. And say, but, oh, you have to go somewhere else. What church are you from? It's not the point of what church are you from. It's the point that the person have a need. Yeah. That the church must be. That's what I was thinking. In Second Thessalonians one, we're gonna we'll do chapter four in Philemon next week. All right. But in Second Thessalonians chapter one, let me read some verses. Paul's writing to the church, and he says, We are bound to thank God always for your brethren is fitting, because your building program is going very well in the city of Thessalonica. Your offerings are above the normal. Mm -hmm. You're not having any persecution. Wow. I'm making it up. No, you mean I'm making that up. I want to see if I want to see if he catch it. I'm listening. I'm listening to you. Because what Paul actually writes is this. He's you want to know what makes a church great. Paul tells us. We are bound to thank God for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. So they have a growing faith. And the love of every one of you abounds towards the other. So you love one another. How do you love one another? You meet each other's needs. You reach out and extend aid to other people. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. That's what made a church great. It wasn't how big your building was. It wasn't who the pastor was. It wasn't how much money you took in. It wasn't any of that stuff. What it was is your faith and your love to one another and your patient endurance under persecution. That's what makes a church great. That's what God rates a church on, not on the size of the budget. Yeah. This church mentioned in uh, Revelations, though, like Ephesus, we mentioned no. losing their first love. No, Thessalon Thessalonica isn't, Philippi isn't. I was just curious. Yeah, but even in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says the same thing. you got to understand that Thessalon Thessalonica was a church in existence for at the most when Paul wrote it a few months, at the most, at the outside. And he says, we give thanks God, to God for you all, make a mention of your prayers, remembering without ceasing, one, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes a church great. But today what makes a church great is how, how big is your building? How many members? Well, if that's the case, then the Mormon church is doing all of us. Right, right. All right. Um, it, it's not that. Or the Catholic church. 
Everybody, 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 everybody,
And if, I don't know, none of us, I know none of us in here have authored books, but you know, there's a contractual negotiation on royalties and all that. He said, I made a goal very early on, I would never, con I would never negotiate a contract, ever, on a book. I take what they offer. I don't even, I don't go back, I don't ask, you know, whatever they say, I just sign the paper. He said, because that way, if I get something out of it, it's from God, and it's not from me. And the thing is, he, you know, look at the ministry that he has. And, and, and he says, I, I want, I'm, in fact, in many of the books, I think, he, he said this particularly on one of the books, he said, he said he and his wife have, have, have earmarked every, every diamond royalty he makes, he gives away. He doesn't keep, keep any royalties for any of the books. You know, and, and the whole point there is, my ministry will be as big as God makes it. So if God wants me on 500 radio stations, then God's going to have to move people to give the money without me asking them. And that way I'll know it's God doing it, not me. Because if not, what you do is you wind up like a Jim Baker, that you're, you're generating it all yourself, you know, and God's not there at all, but you've got this massive machine going. And it was just, it was really interesting when I, when I thought about that. That's the kind of ministries I support. You know, I, I have never, I've never sent a dime to Jerry Falwell, probably never will. But I will support a John MacArthur. You know, it's just, that's just the way he is. So, anyways, we better quit now. We'll pick up uh, Philippians 4 next week and finally, and then we'll do Colossians after that. Father, thanks for this time and for the study you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.